0: All right, guys. Hello. Good morning. Hey, hey, Jonathan. All right. I am going to start. Um, I am here because Dan asked me to sub in, and um, I will we'll start with some prayer and then get going. All right. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for bringing us all here together this morning. I pray that you'd bless this time, bless our conversation. Um, bless Dan as he preaches later today and um, give us all a a great Sabbath here worshiping you and resting um, in your presence in Jesus name amen Um, so so Dan's been um, he's kind of in the middle of a series on the doctrines of the church and asked me to uh, sub in today because there was a lot of stuff going on this week for him um, and said you know I could talk about just something I'm reading or interested in and maybe something tied to uh, what he's talking about. So that's what I'm going to try and do. Um, I'm reading in uh, my reading in um, kind of the end of the Old Testament so that's sort of why I picked that. Um, Ezra and Haggai um, in particular. And the goal the other thing that I've been reading about and kind of interested in is the historical context for the Old Testament. So there's all sorts of kind of extra-biblical, you know, things going on in the world while the Old Testament is playing out. And so those are some of the things that I've been interested in. And then hopefully at the end I can tie it in somehow to what Dan's talking about. So we'll see. Um, but <clears throat> the focus is going to be um, working towards the rebuilding of the uh, second temple, or I guess the building of the second temple. Um, and that takes place kind of Ezra, Nehemiah, um, Hagai in that area. So we're getting we're going to work up to that, but but what I want to do is sort of um, lay the context and the background because you can't talk about second temple till the first temple, right? And so you got to talk about what happened to the first temple and when it started, and you just kind of keep going back. So I won't go too back, but we'll start with creation. <laughs> no. it, all it all starts with creation. So uh, creation was four thousand BC, or you know you pick your. Um, no so so um, um, the main so there's three main countries or nations that um, kind of interact with the Old Testament at the end there um, that I'm going to talk about um, which a lot of people probably know about the three big nations or the big three are does anybody want to contribute? Any yes Israel Babylon. Okay, so Babylon is one, Egypt is one, Israel I'm thinking is, that's definitely going to be, that's obviously the focus, so Babylon, Egypt, what, Assyria is one, is a, yeah, is going to be one that I talk about, because that's kind of the first one, that comes first. You mentioned Babylon, Babylon comes next, and then after Babylon, Egypt actually kind of winds throughout the whole thing, the next big one is Persia, yeah. I know there's going to be some – I'm going to need some help from the CC, the CC crowd, um, especially with my dates. you got to double-check my dates. Um, so those are going to be the big three. It's Syria, Babylon, Persia. And, and another theme that's kind of – that I really like to think about uh, looking at sort of the end of the Old Testament is how God uses these nations to, to interact with the story of Israel, right? So how are they used – um, to how they use to bring about God's plan with Israel, and same you know as we look into the New Testament and beyond, how how does the world interact with the church? Because that's sort of that's going to be kind of the thing. So um, so you have roughly in like a thousand uh, a thousand BC is when um, you have David and Solomon and the first temple, right? So David Solomon first first temple is roughly one thousand. That's kind of known as sort of the peak of israel as far as like a united kingdom it's kind of at its largest or its strongest there that's kind of a good a good rough date to know for um for israel is the thousand what's that yeah peaking in high school right um so a thousand bc is a good spot is a good uh, a good date to think of as sort of the united kingdom and a peak peak for israel Um, Around 900 BC is when Assyria starts to get control, become kind of unified and grow. And up until that point, you know, you've got a lot of different sort of city states and conflict in this area. Um, But it's really Assyria kind of starts to conglomerate and and grow. Um, And so, about so, so um, it's around 900. So you think about Assyria starting to grow. Um, and let's see, uh, for about, um, I guess the area that we're talking about too is the Fertile Crescent or Mesopotamia. So anything from Egypt up through Israel around to the Tigris and Euphrates River, those are, that's the big swath of land that we're talking about. So um, I'll do a great map. You've got the uh, Medi- edge of the Mediterranean. Nile is here. The Red Sea is here. Israel is here. Uh, let's see, the Persian Gulf. Persian Gulf's here. Tigris and Euphrates are here. And this is the, the Mediterranean. So you've got this, what's called sort of the Fertile Crescent, where all the people are. This is the Arabian Desert, where you have nothing. Um, and so that's kind of the Fertile Crescent. So all we're talking about is this this area here. Obviously, I'm sure you can tell what I drew. Um, so that's the Fertile Crescent. I would get points? Okay, good. There we go. Um, so I'll refer back to this. So remember, uh, remember exactly what I have there. So anyways, that's the area of, um, that we're talking about. People also call it like the uh, cradle of civilization because that's where a lot of our first and oldest sort of writings and things come out of. So it's an important area. So Assyria becomes uh, powerful around 900, and we see them start to interact with Israel in a few different places um, there's really three kind of Assyrian kings that stand out. Um, the first guy is called Tiglath-Pileser, um, and around kind of there's this area of about 740, 740 to 700 when these guys start to get into conflict. They start to grow out of this area and and start to get into conflict with Israel. So that's where it's obviously important for us. So this kind of 40-year period, you have Tiglath-Pileser. And I'll read a couple sections. So we hear about him in Chronicles and Kings. Um, it says um, in Chronicles, uh, 1 Chronicles 5:26, and the God of Israel st- stirred up. So the God of Israel stirred up the spirit of Pul, king of Assyria, and the spirit of Tiglath-Pileser, king of Assyria, and he carried them away, even the Reubenites and the Gadites and the half tribe of Manasseh, and brought them into Hala and Haor and Hera, and to the river goes in unto this day um, so that's kind of we when we start to see Assyria um, come into Israel and some of the tribes are taken away not all of them um, next we have a guy named Shalmaneser v um, and he's mentioned to have besieged Syria for three years before finally capturing it that's about 10 to 20 years later so still in this 740 to 700 area um, and that's during the reign of Hosea. So we... Um, uh, let's see. So that, and that comes in 2 Kings. Um, so we see, against him came up Shalmaneser, king of Assyria. And Hosea became his servant and gave him presents. And the king of Assyria found conspiracy in Hosea, for he had sent messengers to, to sow king of Egypt and brought no present to the king of Assyria. So essentially, he stops paying his tribute, aligns with Egypt... And Assyria has to come in and and, uh, impose their will. Then the king of Assyria came up throughout all the land and went up to Samaria and besieged it three years. In the ninth year of Hosea, Hosea and the king of Assyria took Samaria and carried away Israel into Assyria. Um, So um, a pattern you see uh, often throughout this period as these different nations are kind of coming in and out of Israel is whenever there is a change of leadership in, say, Assyria or Babylon or Persia, all their kind of vassal states, all the land that they conquered, kind of there's often a lot of um, sort of uprisings and rebellions. So there's a new king, maybe it's not going to be like a stable, uh, stable turnover and, and a smooth transition. So a lot of the outlying countries will start to kind of rebel, and that's what you see often in Israel's history. There's a new king in Assyria, so they decide, well, we're not going to pay our tribute, and then the next king has to come in and and um, kind of reconquer and, and reimpose their rule. Um, so the third one for Assyria is Sennacherib, and he's pretty famous for his interactions with Hezekiah. Um, so he comes in uh, again, lots of rebellions as he becomes king. Um, and he's coming in to to kind of reconquer things, um, and and so he basically finishes kind of the conquest of of everything in the northern ten tri- for the northern ten um, tribes of Israel, and then he comes to Jerusalem to kind of finish off the southern half. And there's a famous uh, kind of a famous exchange there. Does anybody know, know what happens when Sennacherib comes to Israel or to to Jerusalem? And Hezekiah is king? Yes. So he thinks, as some prophet. <laughs> yeah. no prophet. Well, so yeah, so he he basically, one thing is, he he's told, like, this is the end, and he begs God, and God says, well, you get 10 extra years. And he says, oh, that's great. But um, also this is when, and, and the deliverance is that the angel of the Lord comes overnight and kills 180,000 Assyrians, and then they leave. So it's kind of this, this divine intervention. Um, and Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So what's interesting is we, we found um, kind of, uh, we found sort of the Assyrian account of this. And, and they, he talks all about how he's running through the land, killing everybody, takes over everything. He counts, I think, like 46 cities all throughout Israel he conquers. You know, all that stuff is right. Um, he imposes this tribute on Hezekiah, um, this big tribute, and then decides all of a sudden that he just wants to go home and finish his campaign. campaign. And that's all you hear. Um, so kind of leaves out the fact, you know, these, the, the angel of the Lord peace. Um, and then we actually have an Egyptian, I think through Herodotus, they're his version of it. and and he he says that um, actually in the middle of the night, um, like a mass of mice goes through the camp and kills off a bunch of Assyrians and then they decide to go home. So that's kind of an interesting one because um, I'm curious kind of where how that came to them. Maybe there was some disease involved, maybe there was something. but anyways, so that's sort of the, that's kind of Assyria's sort of rise as they in get involved with Israel. And then um, after that, you have uh, a period of decline. So you don't see Assyria interacting with Israel, um, but they're still sort of the dominant power through the, um, through the 700s B.C. and then through most of the 600s B.C. And then it is um, towards the end of that 7th century B.C., when they start to lose ground, and you have some key defeats, um, and that is at the hands of Babylon. So Babylon starts to grow and start to impose their kind of presence on the land, and um, there's a couple key dates in there. Um, So the first is that Nineveh, the capital of Assyria, falls in 612 BC, and that's that's. That is, there's a lot in the Old Testament about Nineveh. First, you have Jonah, right? Then you have Nahum. Nahum is um, prophesies against about the fall of Nineveh. Um, calls it a bloody city. I think Jeremiah, Isaiah, they all mention Nineveh. So Nineveh is the capital of Assyria. So when you see Nineveh, or at least it is at the sort of the end of Assyria. So as you hear Nineveh, you should think about this this kingdom that's been reigning for about 300 years in the area, and this is sort of their demise. Um, a side note is that you have, you have history, that, like the secular history of, of Assyria is that they're warring all the time, right? Every year there's campaigns, but there's a 40-year gap. There's a 40-year gap that can rough, roughly be placed around the time of Jonah when they, it's called like the period of stagnation, where they stop going to war. They stop conquering people. Um, and, and up until that, there was like yearly on-the-dot campaigns around them and so I think there's a good argument to be you know to be had that that's when Jonah came in they repented and it was calm and that's the then you have 40 years up until this part there's new kings and you have this kind of 740 to 700 where they start to expand again they start conquering Israel and then they they kind of have their demise so anyways just a little bit of uh, hope context for some of those other parts of the old testament so Babylon is next they start to They start to um, grow. They conquer Nineveh in in 612. Um, Then they continue to have sort of um, fighting with Assyria up until for the next few years. But a famous famous sort of date is 609 when they are doing another sort of campaign to finally conquer Assyria. And Assyria is allied with a guy down here in Egypt— called pharaoh neko or neko the second so he's down here in egypt assyria is up here conquering take or babylon is coming up here to conquer assyria and neko who is a a friend of assyria comes up to help them and he's coming up to help defend them against babylon Um, and that's when we get a story in second chronicles that's I've kind of a, a lot of times read, and it seemed out of place and didn't make a lot of sense. But I think with that context, it makes a little more sense. So um, this is Second Chronicles 35, um, 20 to 24, and it talks about this King Necho of Egypt. So after all this, when Josiah had sent, set the temple in order. So this is, right, this is when Josiah is king. Necho, king of Egypt, went up to fight at Carchemish on the Euphrates. So that's like I said up here. Euphrates, he's coming up to fight here, and the context is he's trying to help the Assyrians defend the Babylonians. And then we have this kind of weird story. Um, and Josiah marched out to meet him in battle. He has nothing, there's no reason, um, he's not trying to conquer Israel, he's just passing through. But Necho sent messengers to him saying, What quarrel is there, king of Judah, between you and me? It is not you I am attacking at this time, but the house with which I am at war. That's Babylon. God has told me to hurry. So stop opposing God, who is with me, or he will destroy you. Josiah, however, would not turn away from him, but disguised himself to engage him in battle. He would not listen to what Nico had said at God's command, but went to fight him on the plain of Megiddo. Archers shot King Josiah, and he told his officers, take me away, I am badly wounded. So they took him out of his chariot, put him in his other chariot, and brought him to Jerusalem where he died. He was buried in the tombs of his ancestors, and all Judah and Jerusalem mourned for him. So that's a famous battle of Megiddo. That's a famous passage. And the context, again, is this transition between Assyria and Babylon. And obviously, again, we've got this huge war between the largest powers, you know, of the, of the, the planet at that point. And um, Josiah, we have this kind of small story where Josiah gets in the middle of the machine. And, and how uh, oh, so? <clears throat>
1: mm-hmm.
0: okay yeah yeah that makes sense um yeah so um so yes um i don't know if he is or not or how far below he is yeah i'm not sure if there's somebody else in there manasseh manasseh's in there somewhere Yeah, who were we talking about? (laughs) That was... Yeah, that was Hezekiah. No, that was after... Yeah, so we did get to Hezekiah. I know. Well, there's only so much on this whiteboard that I can fit. But um, what we'll get to, which is an important date, is when Assyria actually finally falls and Babylon takes over, and that is... 609 B.C. at the battle of does anybody know what it's called? CC people? The battle of Carchemish. The battle of Carchemish is a famous battle where they actually, actually no that was, sorry, 605 609 is when Josiah died. 605 B.C. And this is kind of the date you should have in mind for um, Babylon taking over and at the same time at the same time, when they're campaigning, this is when they first uh, start bringing exiles out of Israel to Babylon. So Nebuchadnezzar, he doesn't conquer the whole land, but he, but he takes Daniel and a bunch of others, a bunch of the, the um, kind of wise men and things like that to Babylon. So this would be a date for the beginning of the Babylonian um, captivity. Which we, um, again, the rebuilding of the temple happens after that. So that's, that's a date to remember. So that's when um, Nebuchadnezzar takes over. Um, we hear a lot about Nebuchadnezzar, obviously. Daniel, um, there's a handful of, he's in Kings and Chronicles. So he's, he's a famous one. Um, and this also is sort of begins the end for Judah and Jerusalem. So uh, Israel, the north, started to fall and fell kind of in 740. And then 6:05 around here is when the south starts to fall. So they had 150 years or so um, longer than the north part. Um, all right. So let's see. So there's essentially what happens. There's a lot of a lot of kings sort of in, uh, come and go in this time period. You have your Jehoiakim, Jehoiachin. Um, but what happens essentially is Nebuchadnezzar comes back and forth a handful of times as as kings decide to rebel against him and you have a bunch of a number of prophets who are saying don't rebel against nebuchadnezzar don't rebel against babylon this is my plan right and that's that's a big uh a big piece of that sort of period is prophets saying you know you need to just go to babylon jeremiah talks about this um i think isaiah does too um but you have a number of rebellions, one of which happens in 697 BC, um, and that's when Zedekiah is set up as king. and then and Jeremiah specifically tells him, don't rebel." And ten years later, I believe it's Egypt. Egypt is like, "Hey, let's let's rebel. We can do this together." And he's sort of um, kind of convinced that he can that he can break away from Nebuchadnezzar and And it's 587. we get to Persia it's 587 when Nebuchadnezzar finally comes after Zedekiah um, rebels and you have the fall of Jerusalem and that's kind of a that Jerusalem that is um, I would say another key date for Israel you know Christian history but Old Testament history so you have the fall of Jerusalem that's when Nebuchadnezzar comes in and says he burns the temple burns the walls so the city is, is, is pretty much razed you already have some captivity though that's been going on though since 605 that's when Daniel went there um, alright so that's Babylon and Nebuchadnezzar that's kind of where he, where he comes in Nebuchadnezzar um, the second you have a few different Babylonian kings that come and go um, not a lot of you don't really hear a lot um, different, some different stories, parts of the Bible will take place during that. Daniel, first part of Daniel takes place there. Um, and then you get when Persia comes into the picture. So now you, we move from Babylon, we've got this, to Persia. <clears throat> okay. Um, so let's see. Uh, we'll read Jeremiah. Because this part in Jeremiah talks about um, how long Israel is going to be um, in captivity in Babylon. Does anybody remember how long that is? 70 years. seventy years, yep. So Jeremiah 25, 11 to 12 says, This whole land shall become a ruin and a waste, and these nations shall serve the king of Babylon seventy years. Then after seventy years are completed, I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation. The land of the, Chal- the Chaldeans for their iniquity declares the Lord making the land an everlasting waste so you've got this interesting thing where they are like commanded to come in and devastate the land right and punish Israel but then they're also punished for their wickedness so they're kind of used one way um, or they, they play multiple roles you know as they in- interact with Israel yes
1: Mm -hmm.
0: that they missed right right yeah so there's a lot of punishment there yes yeah Yeah, so that's sort of a there's, a, there's a theme of like 12 and 70, 12 and 70, where 12 is kind of the number for Israel, the 12 tribes, and then 70 is kind of the number for the rest of the world. Um, and there's one spot in, I think, the Exodus or something, where they come to a place where there's 12 wells and there's, there's 70 trees. What is that? 70 palm. 70 palm trees. And that's, again, sort of this image of you are the water, that is supposed to go out to the rest of the world and water these 70 palm trees. And then they weren't doing that in this period, and they get 70 years of, of uh, this captivity. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You You said you could try that, or? they did try that. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. So maybe that's not what the seventy years meant. <laughs> yep, yep. All right, so um, all right, so so we'll talk about Persia and when Persia comes to take over for Babylon, and that is um, the year five thirty nine. So five thirty nine, we have in five thirty nine, we get Daniel um, five, I believe it is Daniel five. Um, when, <clears throat> when basically you have um, Belshazzar. Yes, ten minutes left. Okay. All right. Well, we'll pick this up later um, if we can't finish. So you have uh, five thirty-nine. You've got Belshazzar having his feast, the writing on the wall, and um, uh, Cyrus comes in and conquer takes over that very night. It says Belshazzar, who's the the uh, king of Babylon, is killed. And Cyrus comes in and takes over. So at this point, right, you've got a bunch of, a bunch of um, Israelites in Babylon. Cyrus comes over. And that's where we'll kind of pick up with the rebuilding in Ezra. <clears throat> Ezra uh, chapter 1 has the proclamation of Cyrus, which is in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled. The Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, So that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put it in writing. Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, "...the Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has charged me to build a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Whoever is among you of all his people, may his God be with you, and let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and rebuild the house of the Lord." The God of Israel. He is the God who is in Jerusalem. And let each survivor in whatever place he sojourns be assisted by the men of his place with silver and gold, with goods and with beasts, besides free will offerings for the house of God that is in Jerusalem. Um, so I think this is important um, what Ezra's doing here. So he relates to the proclamation of Cyrus. Cyrus says, You guys should all need to all go back to Jerusalem and build this house. But he also says something that's key that I think is interesting. He says, um, let each survivor be assisted by the men of his place with silver and gold, with goods and with beasts. So he's also saying people of Persia need to give to these Israelites as they're returning gifts. And then he documents all the stuff that they came back with them. Um, It says all those who were about them aided them with vessels of silver, with gold and with goods and with beasts. So there's a period of captivity. They're leaving this captivity. The locals are giving them a bunch of stuff. What does that kind of, what should that bring to mind? Egypt, Egypt yeah. So the plundering of the Egyptians. So we've got a similar thing here. And what was the, the, these goods were meant to provide the resources to rebuild the house of God. And so we've got this, this first thing they're supposed to do is go out of captivity and rebuild the house of God. And Jeremiah, I think it's, or Isaiah calls it um, a house of the Lord. It's for um, a house of prayer for all the nations. And that kind of, again, ties into this 12 to 70. This is a house of prayer. This is a, a temple, a house of God. But it's a, it's a house of prayer for all the nations. So it's not this insular, inward-focused um, you know, building just for Israel. And, uh, and so that's kind of a, a, a common theme that, that um, we should be seeing. So so that's the rebuilding um, of the, uh, or sort of the kind of call to rebuild. They don't rebuild it. They, they start, they do the altar. They, they lay the foundation for the temple. Um, but then there's uh, a period where I think you have some uh, different Persian kings that don't really care about Israel, we see. Um, so there's kind of stagnation. And then in, uh, then you have Darius. And Darius, again, sort of kind of renews the call to build the temple again. Um, and so that that um, that commences, and that we get that in Haggai, in Haggai, where it's basically after this, peri- after this period of a bunch of stagnation and nobody, and they haven't been doing what they've been told, um, and um, that we we hear is uh, in the second year of Darius, uh, the king. So, um, a quick kind of just uh, numbers thing, um, Persia. So this is when Cyrus takes over. And you have this period from 605 to 539. Um, it takes a couple years for, for them to start kind of going back. So maybe you can pick like a 537 um, for when they kind of are starting to go back to Israel. But from 605 to 539, you have roughly 70 years. And so there's a 70 period from roughly when the exile starts to roughly when the return starts. Um, And then the temple is destroyed in 587. That's the fall of Jerusalem by Nebuchadnezzar. And then through Ezra and Haggai, you have the rebuilding starts, stalls, completes. Roughly, there's 20 years or so. And it's in 516, 516, that the temple is um, rebuilt or dedicated, I think. Dedicated. And again, you have there from 587 the fall to 516 70 years. So you've got this 70 you have this 70 year period but it's it's kind of two overlapping 70 year periods. It's not a it's not a singular 70 year period. So 70 years from the exile and 70 years for the um, kind of uh, Persian control or Babylonian control. Which if you go back to the prophecy it does say two things. It says the land will be devastated for 70 years and you will serve the King of Babylon for seventy years. So potentially that's that's kind of um those are two different uh time periods. <clears throat> All right, so I guess we'll end with um kind of basically Haggai's letter to Israel when they have not been building the temple, they've been focusing on other things first. Um and again kind of the point is again with Tying into sort of what Dan's talking about, there's this centrality of the church or doctrines of the church we're talking about. And this is something we should see all through the Old Testament with from everything from where the temple, like how the temple was laid out, right? With like the Holy of Holies and has it kind of extended out to where Israelites could go, priests could go, and then where foreigners could go. Um, And then also kind of the tabernacle, how the tabernacle was laid out, where you had the tabernacle. The priests and the Levites, I think, are like around the tabernacle, and then the rest of Israel is around them. So you've got this again. all will see the Old Testament. The place where God comes to meet the people is at the center, um, and that's where we are right now in church, worshiping together. This is we are worshiping. We worship in God's presence, um, and so I think that's just kind of the kind of the theme and the image to uh, to pick up. So probably getting close to the end of time so we'll just read are we we're getting close it's close okay um so we'll let's go with um Haggai 1 then and go through that so if somebody wants to read Haggai 1 we'll just do 1 to 6 um, and this is a command to start reading rebuilding the temple or finish the temple who can read that for us 1 1 to 6
1: Thus says the Lord of hosts. Those people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of
0: That was at six. Yeah, that's a good start. Um, so what is that, I mean, how does that tie into kind of what we've been talking about? Yep. Right. What were they focusing on? Their own houses. Other things. it, I mean, it talks about you've sown much, but harvested little. So they're working on Building the economy, right? <laughs> building their homes, right? Um, he who earns wages, you put them into a bag with holes. So all these things that you're working on are out of place, right? Inflation. Yeah, inflation's running rampant <clears throat> because they're not—they're not—they um, haven't built the house of the Lord. Um, also, the, the the temple was where God. That was where God's, like, presence was, and the temple, there was no temple, so his presence was not there. He was not with them, right? He was, he was not there. Um, and so let's continue with uh, verse 7 to uh, 11. Can somebody else read 7 to 11? Um, so the next verse, then Zerubbabel the son of Shealtiel and jo- Joshua the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant, remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent him. So one thing to take note of there: you have two people that this prophecy goes to and um, are kind of the two main characters. And who are those? Well, you have Haggai the prophet he's speaking to two people though Joshua and Zerubbabel the pre- the governor but really the king who would be the king um he's in the line of David I, or like he's I think in the genealogy between David and, and Jesus Zerubbabel so he's basically the king um the the king that um Persia has set up um And then you have the high priest. So this prophecy is not just going to the high priest, this is going to the king and the high priest that they need to do this. Um, And then, um, so picking up in 13, then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people. So they decide they will obey. Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message. The next thing is, I am with you, declares the Lord. And that's, I think, a a key piece there is, they decide to obey, they will rebuild the temple, God's presence is with them and that is where the harvest comes from right That's where the blessings come from and that's um, that's kind of the the next step for them um, before they go to do other things, building their houses and, and other such things and we see in Nehemiah the next project is building what the, the walls of the city yeah and so that's a big that's a big uh, I think a big thing to think about is they, they're building their houses. They're doing a lot of things. Um, they, there's there's um, conflict with the surrounding nations throughout a lot of this, right, where they're, they complain to Babylon. They complain to Cyrus. They say, hey, why are they doing this? They're going to rebel. They're a rebellious people. They're going to revolt. Don't let them do this. Um, but they're supposed to be focusing on building the temple. And that's, even with all this conflict going on, that's before the walls of the city are built. <clears throat> so it's more important for them to build the altar and then the house of the Lord, and then they build the walls because God, God is the one who's sustaining them and protecting them. You know they're having all these issues, um, but it's not because they don't have walls of the in the city. <clears throat> I'm that's not why I'm here. <laughs> um, all right, so we'll end then with this. Uh, so he says, "I am with you," declares the Lord. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehoshadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and they worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God, on the 24th day of the month, in the sixth month, in the second year of Darius the king, Darius the king. And then Ezra picks up kind of when it ends, when the the, uh, building project is complete, uh, and that's what I have here, that 5.16. So um, Ezra 6 says, Then according to the words sent by Darius the king, uh, Tatnai the governor of the province beyond the river, uh, Shethar, Bozenai, and the, their associates did with all diligence what Darius the king had ordered. And the elders of the Jews built and prospered through the prophesying of Haggai, the prophet, and Zechariah the son of Iddo, they finished their building by decree of the God of Israel and by decree of Cyrus and Darius and Artaxerxes, king of Persia. And this house was finished on the third day of the month of Adar in the sixth year of the reign of Darius, the king. Um, so that's 516. And tying a little bit back to what Dan said, uh, the first feast they celebrate, I believe, well, they do, they celebrate the Passover, I believe. Um, but the one of the first uh, feasts uh, that they talk about in, in all these books is the Feast of Booths. It's kind of this is this feast that they talk about. And that's a special feast that happens in the seventh month, which is the Sabbath month. And it's a week long. So it's sort of this like Sabbath of Sabbaths, um, where it's this long, it's this long feast. And the last day is like the eighth day or something. And the second the second sabbath day within the feast so it's all about the sabbath and during it they sacrifice um 70 bowls in it and again the 70 bulls, right we already talked about it's for um kind of israel's job to witness to the land and that's sort of one of the first things they do when they're back in in the land so build the house and then witness to the nations that's kind of the theme all right i think we're out of time any Final questions or Dan, anything you wanna talk about to wrap up? Jonathan?
1: Theological question. You said uh God raised up uh or stirred up the spirit of Syria, the couple <coughs> of Syria against them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good question. Yeah, well, and, and but like uh, like Babylon, they themselves then are judged for the thing that they did because they were doing it in their own strength, not knowing that they were being God. The mm-hmm. Malachites, I'm not trying. to say. Sorry, the <laughs> I'm I'm going to take
0: All right, we have a question over here. Hold on, and then Dan. Oh yes. Oh, okay. Mm do Don't do it.
1: Uh
0: huh. Oh, that's really interesting. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. Okay. What's interesting about that passage is uh, God says, David, you can't just wash what <coughs> in
1: your hands. Your son will build the temple for me. But uh, we know that Solomon built the temple, but I think this is also pointing to Christ because we know that David, his name means my beloved. Solomon at this time is not king. He's a prince, and his name is peace. So he's saying, my beloved prince of peace will build my temple. Mm-hmm. So geez, that's actually a point of that Christ.
0: Yeah. Question, Janet. Okay. Mm -hmm.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. Right. Yeah, and I think as we're going to keep going through Diane's sermons, the rest of Sunday school lessons, right, they're going to touch on a bunch of different aspects of that, right? What does that mean? And what areas? What are we talking about? Um, so i think that's that's just going to be a really good focus um for us yeah and then this other theological issue that we should probably pick up at another time dan can do a a series on that but all those things so um all right well let's um let's close in prayer and then um